Hello, everyone. I am Sandy Vasoli. I am and always have been a Tudor history fan. Hi, everyone. My name's James, and I run the uh, Queen Anne Boleyn Society on um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I also very lucky to also work at Hampton Court Palace. Welcome to May, or as we call it here on Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, Anne Boleyn Month. I'm thrilled to have so many of my favorite historians joining me to talk about Anne Boleyn. Love her or hate her, it seems like we can't stop talking about her. And that's certainly true this month. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the podcast. I am beyond thrilled to have a couple of people that I have admired from afar. And the fact that I am speaking to them now is just an amazing experience for me. So I have with me uh, two people who became friends and bonded over their interest in Anne Boleyn. What better way to create and nurture a friendship? And so I want to introduce Sandy and James to you, and we will have the wonderful opportunity of hearing from them about a particular discovery last year, something really important they were both involved in related to Anne Boleyn. And then we'll see what else they have to tell us about one of our favorite Tudor Queen consorts. So first of all, I just want to jump right in and talk a little bit about the Falcon, because this item, which physically is fairly small and yet is so important in history, in reminding us that history is uncovering itself to us all the time. It just is such an exciting discovery. It's one of those keep you up at night kinds of discoveries. So can you tell us about the Falcon, why it's so important, and why it is such a big deal, both in Anne's time and today? I can jump in and and start by telling you kind of the backstory and I think what's great about, you know, having James and I here is we not only were we both involved in, in you know, the story of um, its discovery and then how it came to rest at Hampton Court, but uh, I know a little bit more about the front end of the story and James knows a little bit more about the back end of the story at this point. So um, I'll, I'll tell you the, you know, the, the history and that is. For me, um, I guess a couple of years ago now, just about two years ago, I got the notion that I wanted to kind of shop online for a small piece of of original Tudor history, maybe a, a, a chest or a little coffer or something that I could afford that really would have been through from... Uh, the early 1500s from the time of Henry and Anne. So I started looking around online and I found something that I really liked um, and was kind of involved in emailing back and forth when somehow, and literally I don't remember, I became, um, my attention got diverted to another website um, and it's called Marham Church Antiques. And the gentleman who runs it, uh, there were a few things that popped up on my screen. And I liked one of them. It was a linen fold panel. 
cupboard. And so I inquired about it and, and the owner uh, got in touch with me and said, oh, yes, it's lovely, but I think I have something that you might like better. And he showed me the picture of another uh, chest, like one of the kind of chests that would have been used for linens or clothing at that time. And it was truly beautiful. It's carved with five Tudor roses. And so so the gentleman, whose name is Paul Fitzsimmons, and I emailed back and forth a little bit and as we, and I love the piece. So I said, well, let's talk about, you know, the cost, et cetera. So how about if I call you? So we got on the phone and during the course of the conversation about the chest, he said, you know, you and I share a passion because he had looked at my website, which is, um, you know, affixed to my emails and, Obviously, he saw that I had written books and he said, we share a passion about Anne Boleyn. And then as we got to know each other a little bit better on that phone call, he said, I have something that you should know about. He said, I think I've found um, a carving that was a, a badge, one of the badges of Anne Boleyn. And I said, you, you know, you're kidding me. And he said, no, I'm going to send you some pictures. <clears throat> and he did. He sent me pictures of the un restored Falcon. And I saw it and I was just like, I could, you know, I couldn't catch my breath because it was, and I don't know whether you've ever seen the early pictures, but if not, Carol, I'll be happy to provide one to you so that you can post it. Um, black, dark, dirty, but unmistakable. So he said, I, you know, I was, he said, antique dealers, you know, what we do is we look at um, newspaper articles about estate sales or, you know, this auction or somebody has died and now they're selling the, the contents of their house. And during the course of doing that, he said, I saw one estate sale and I actually he actually sent one of his people out and, I, you know, he said, here's your budget you know, get this collection. And it was, I think, um, like a writing desk, a chest. He said, I just felt like that those were of Tudor origin. And he will, he will tell you that he has an uncanny ability to know and identify what he sees through just like a feeling about it. So he said, so this box, this cardboard box came back and it had a couple of items in it. And one of them was this carved bird. And I think it said in the ad, the ad, the newspaper column, carved bird, you know, small coffer, whatever else was in there. So he said, I took it out and I looked at it and I thought, this looks really unusual and familiar. He said, but I didn't, I didn't get it in right away, but I went and I started Googling and looking and he said, I saw, you know, when he was looking at Falcon, he said, I immediately saw and realized this looks so much like the Anne Boleyn Falcon that she used in many ways for her, her badge. That's how he found it. From there, he was in touch with a good friend of his who runs the Oak, um, the Antique Oak segment for um, Bonhams auctions auction house and who also is an antique dealer and together they looked at it and you know they felt quite sure that it was something 
really significant. So I think at that point, he decided that he was going to try and sell it at the, there was a, an auction coming up with, for early oak at Bonham's and they, he, he was going to try to sell it. But, you know, in the and way of how this got discovered, it didn't sell for a number of reasons. One is I think Paul felt actually reluctant to sell it after all. Secondly, he had not had it authenticated at that point. So it came back home with, with Paul. But then he went on to have it restored by the premier restoration group in the UK who has done amazing work at Buckingham Palace and, you know, a lot of other places and really knows what he's looking at, who, as he got started with it, said, this is, this is an important piece. It has a story to tell and it's going to tell it. So that was, that was the early part of how it got discovered. <clears throat> oh, how exciting. You it's just love crazy, all- isn't it? Yes, this accidental discovery, just in a box, a carved bird. Carved bird, right, <laughs> in a box, just surfaced, right? So oh, Unbelievable. All right, James, so what can you tell us about, as it became more clear, this was something very, very special? Obviously, Sandy had kept me up to date with the whole thing um, as it was going on, and it was incredibly fascinating. And um, speaking to her we thought well there's got you know she then told me that um paul had um said that he really wanted it to go on display at hampton court and um i've been very lucky at hampton court to struck a very good working and uh good relationship and incredible good friendship with uh, the lovely tracy borman who's one of our chief curators there and I so I offered to um, contact Tracy and ask what she thought because I thought, well, that's going to be the the best way in there. Um, and you know, so I did, and Tracy was ever so interested, ever so fascinated about it. And so it kind of started from there. Really. She um, then, you know, as I I contacted her and. Um, asked if she didn't mind if I put Sandy and Paul in, in touch with her and sort of open the communication there, and she was more than happy to. And then it kind of sort of, started, sort of went from there, really. The um, curatorial team at the Palace were, in, were involved. And then last month, um, quicker than I ever thought possible, um, on the actually on the anniversary um, of Anne making her debut at the uh, Chateau Vert pageant, 500th anniversary, um, it went on display in the Great Hall of Hampton Court, which um, could not be a better location at all for it. So um, now it is on display for, for everyone to see when they come through the doors of the palace. Not that we need any more reasons to visit Hampton Court. <laughs> there are already so many, but there we go. A new one for the very, very top of your list. I understand that it may very well have started at Hampton Court, the the original carving, likely, I don't know how certain we are, you tell me, um, but may have started its life also at Hampton Court. Can you tell me a little bit about where it might have been and what it represents? What are the details that let us know, not only is it Anne Boleyn's falcon, but just how important it is in her story? 
Yeah, so basically the falcon um, is Anne's emblem that she chose when she became Queen of England. Um, obviously back in the 16th century, um, post sort of medieval world, everyone sort of adopted badges or heraldic beasts or something for like family um, emblems and stuff. And all of Henry's wives, all queens, adopted um, a badge when they were queen and Anne chose the falcon. And so the falcon that Anne has is like the proud falcon holding a scepter, so symbolising their her queenship, um, but also on the tree stump surrounded by Tudor roses is the general sort of view, although um, we haven't got Tudor roses sort of touched in this one, but it's to symbolise sort of her, you know, fertility <clears throat> and everything. So um, choosing this as her emblem, it was basically put throughout all the palaces, um, the royal palaces that Anne would have frequented often. And Hampton Court, we know from the records that she and Henry worked over um, the palace together, designing it, um, designing the Tudor Palace. A lot of what we have left now of the Tudor Palace comes from Anne and Henry's time working together. There are thousands of records that we have that still survive that show how involved she was in all of that and um you know the great hall for example um is full and it has falcons on the ceiling and everything there um in the in very much the the design of this falcon for example um so her private rooms would have had it as well and we know um from the records too that she and henry visited the palace quite often um and they also ordered new sorry extra candles for the workmen um working in the great hall who could then work into the night to complete complete this uh magnificent space so we know therefore that a lot of them um survived um even after her downfall which obviously happens very quick very swift and brutally um they're trying you know even though the workmen are trying to um replace all her emblems with jane seymour's um because the turnaround was ridiculously quick um and um a lot of the falcons were then painted black it's believed um so they may have been either white although new research is showing possibly silver um, but they were then painted black so it's possible that this one as well was painted black um it's also quite possible that um it could have even been in her private apartments um and there could be a similar connection i know there's um, some amazing work that's gone on at um heaver castle with the preservation of Anne's um, Book of Hours um, by people who are obviously supporters of Anne. Um, wonderful Kate McCaffrey has done some incredible work there. It's possible that the similar connection could have happened here in preserving um, this falcon as well. You know that is that is wonderful, and I was going to ask about that because I've you know I've I've read Kate's research and I've spoken with her about it, and it's just amazing to think of this network of people who after Anne's fall we're working to preserve her memory and and it's possible right that someone also would have taken care of the falcon that there were emblems uh, as well as books i mean you can see people yeah. who cared about her is that right james uh, yeah absolutely 100% i mean the 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 sad thing is with Anne, of course is because um obviously we all you know the vast vast majority of us um believe that the evidence well we don't just believe we can see from the evidence that she most definitely 100 percent, pretty much is 
innocent um, of the charges against her. But the sad fact is she was convicted and executed a traitor. So it wasn't safe for people to really speak openly about preserving her memory or, you know, championing her cause. They had to be very careful. So these sorts of things would have had to have been done very secretively. Um, it was also known that um, when Elizabeth became queen, the falcon pretty much then does re-emerge as a symbol. Her mother's falcon then does sort of make a bit of a quite a strong comeback as well on a lot of designs and everything of Elizabeth's. Um, so it could have been um, somehow preserved and passed on to her somehow. Or, um, yeah, it's just the, the possibilities are endless and kind of incredibly intriguing. It makes a brilliant, a brilliant story, really. <laughs> right. Oh, and I, I know I know at the Victorian Albert Museum, there is a virginal of Elizabeth that there's a falcon on and those beautiful linens, where if you stand just right, you can see the falcon very proudly displayed in Elizabeth's, um, in her personal items. So that's, that's great. And yeah. to think that she might have been as queen, um, helping those who were preserving her mother's memory and, and items of her mother's. Yeah. So yeah. we know we we sort of lose track of it for a while until it emerges as a carved bird uh, at the auction. But James, especially for you, what was it like the first time you saw it at Hampton Court displayed there and just, you know, proudly again? It just seems like such a wonderful thing. It was just incredibly magical, really. It was a very magical um, moment. And, you know, to see it there in all its beauty of restoration and the, the glittering, the colours which just shine so well off it. And, you know, it, it was just so, it just has this very majestic, um, magical, beautiful look about it. And just incredible, it's an incredible item. And it was, it was, quite emotional to see it finally out on display and there in the great hall and just the kind of the thought that actually you know this kind of does prove that a lot of things aren't always we think a lot of them are lost to us but it just goes to show there's always something there to be rediscovered so hope is not lost for other items of Anne's or other items of that period as well. Like there, there's always possibility. So yeah, it kind of opens that door really, that, that, that sort of hope for those of us that want to, you know, as we all do, we all want something to be rediscovered. Um, but yeah, it really sort of, uh, it sort of adds more hope for that. All right. So let me ask both of you this. Let's imagine that we had a magic wand and we could discover some more things of Anne Boleyn, what would you really love to have discovered or to discover yourself? I mean, if we're waving a magic wand, let's go ahead and say, what would you like to discover, Sandy, of Anne Boleyn's? What would be just magical for you? Letters that she wrote to Henry in response to the letters that he wrote to her that are housed at the Vatican. Obviously, there was a it's very clear because he makes reference to them. There was a collection of letters that she wrote to him in response. So that would be pretty amazing. And then, of course, just like everybody, you know, is dying to discover a an original portrait 
of hers, a contemporary portrait. So, you know, I don't know which, which would be preferable, but you know, it's, is it possible that those things remain someplace? Yes, it's possible. In terms of the letters, one would think that Henry would have destroyed them, but maybe he packaged them up and hid them someplace, um, never to be found. And, you know, maybe they will be found. So, um, you know, there's, there's that. And, and I think the same thing for a portrait. I mean, there is a historical record um, in, in there's in the Lumley papers uh, of a portrait of Anne that I think it describes as originally being a full length portrait, but at some point was mm, truncated. And I think that it was seen at Nunsuch Palace. I've seen the record in the, in the Lumley papers, but I think it's been tracked till to maybe the very early 1700s. And then there's no sign of it after that. So nobody really knows. And of course, we always have speculation about different portraits that circulate, whether in fact they are of Anne or not. And I believe that some of them are actually, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I personally believe that the drawings in the, in the Windsor uh, collection that Holbein did. And I just saw the Holbein exhibit, by the way, at the Morgan library wow. up close and really like you could get like right up there and see every pencil stroke. And um, so there are those two beautiful drawings. And I, I believe that either both or one of them certainly is of, of Anne and they're very beautiful, interesting pictorial representations of a face that I, I think really could be her face. All right, yes. James, what about you? If if we had a magic wand and you could find some Anne Boleyn items, what would you really love to find? I will go with the portrait. I think that yeah. would be um, what I would like to find. I would also kind of like something else that belonged to Anne. I don't know whether a piece of jewellery <laughs> or something. Right. Or like with the lost dress of um Elizabeth I on the Baxton Hospital a few years ago, I would like something, you know, similar like that to turn up. But I think um, I would have to go with portrait at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, that's good. And I do like the idea in addition, so you can have an extra, um, in addition to the portrait, to something personal, like a bit of jewelry. I would just love someone to find that bee necklace somewhere (laughs) or some of those (laughs) Or even the pearls. The or what pearls about a ring egg? that Henry would have given to her on their mm-hmm. marriage or something like that? Yeah. Something personal yeah, would be fun. Yeah. So those are great. Those are great. So let me ask you both this because, you know, we're all Anne Boleyn fanatics and, and loving it. Um, why do you think Anne in particular not just, but also of all of Henry's wives, but of a lot of the consorts. I mean, there are some really intriguing consorts through history. And yet Anne Boleyn is just always at the top of the list in terms of fascination and evoking really strong reactions, both in her day and still today. Why do you think Anne is so 
fascinating. She has this hold on us and won't let go. What do you think it is about her that just continues to drive us? Oh, that's such, it's such an interesting um, question, that one. And obviously everyone's going to have their own sort of different answers. I think she, because she's around at such a pivotal point of change in history um, and the king, you know, the, the king has decided to set aside his wife after so many years um, a very popular and influential queen as well, so you know, who's um, related to the Spanish royalty, who um, at that time were incredibly powerful and influential, for someone who wasn't necessarily a royal by birth. Who, well, actually, she wasn't a royal by birth. Um, and the, the change in the country at the time that Anne um, inadvertently basically brought about, but then was very also very influential in that period. And, you know, because at that time, you know, you've got this incredibly structured sort of um, way of life and, you know, people can't necessarily criticise the king. So naturally, the other woman has to get the blame. So there's kind of this divide on opinions of her, this whether it's on her or the religion or something. And, you know, the Anne that we get from... The historical records is a very human person. She's someone who shows great kindness and charitableness, but she's also someone who shows her feelings. She's someone who also shows, you know, when she's not happy about something, she's someone who can have a bit of a temper, who, you know, you can, when you read about her, you get the sense of someone who is basically very much a human. So I think people can almost connect with that, because I think when you read about a lot of these historical characters, they often come across very hard to relate to, because they live in, they're living in such a different world. But Anne, I think you get that sense of someone who you can sort of relate to a bit more. Um, I would also say with Anne is her story in general is just something you couldn't make up. So I think that I think all those sort of combinations sort of, you know, come together and, you know, it's, it's kind of what draws people so much to her, really. I mean, her story is <clears throat> it's just so dramatic and it's it's so I it's just such an iconic story of you know um a young girl who clearly has a lot of personal attributes but you know catches the eye of the king becomes queen is riding high and then you know the crash to the ground is so poignant and so you know just so heartrending she's a fascinating fascinating powerful character. Well, I think that's very true. And I think it, you know, we can all draw maybe a little chuckle from the irony of how Henry tried so hard to erase her. And here we are hundreds of years later, discovering more and more her story mm-hmm. continuing to be told and her voice amplified. And it just seems to be a really exciting time to be um, obsessed with Anne Boleyn. So it works for certainly all of us, and I know many, many others. Right. 
So if there were one thing you would love people to take away from the story of the Falcon and Anne Boleyn, what would that be? If they, if people could just take away one thing that they maybe know now that they didn't know before or could look at something a little bit differently, is there something you would like people to take away? And James, let's start with you on this. I would I'd probably say what I said earlier, that um, there is this goes to show that there is always hope that something is going to be rediscovered. So, you know, never say never. There's, you know, we've talked about items possibly showing up, you know, even in the last few years, you know, look at the Bacton altar cloth dress, Elizabeth I and other items as well. There's always something to be rediscovered. That's great. Okay. Thank you. And Sandy? I think it's really emblematic of um, Anne's, uh, of Anne's triumph, you know, at the end of the day, not only the, a, a symbol of her, um, her innocence, all, but also of the influence that she's had on so many people, both during her life and after her life. And I will add that I think it's also a little bit emblematic of where things ended up at the end of his life with Henry. Because, you know, I, the little research that I've done has, has uncovered the time he was ready to pass from this life. He had rethought his, his actions with her. And, you know, I just am of the belief that he did in fact regret what he had done. And so, you know, I, I think that that, that her triumph and that his realization, nobody really knows where his mindset was as those days closed in, because not only did he, you know, do wrong to Anne, but to many others, but I, you know, for me, it's, it's a triumphant symbol of kind of how things ended up. And then of course we have, you know, their, her, their daughter, Mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth who was, you know, just the mo- one of the most unique and amazing characters in history. So it is a story that really went through a lot of difficulty, but ended up in, in a triumphant way. That's great. Yes. And I think Elizabeth and her turning to the Falcon and her Boleyn relatives, and in so many ways, um, really celebrating her mother. And I um, love the little ring um, with Elizabeth and Anne, I was able to see that in the Elizabeth and Mary Queen of Scots exhibition. So yes. there are those those moments. So, oh, this has been such a marvelous conversation. I want to thank you both so much. Now, I thank want you. also, I'm going to ask each of you where we can find out more about your research. So, Sandy, you've mentioned research a couple of times. I don't. I want to know if you're working on something else. And James. Um, when Sandy's done, I'd like you to chime in a little bit about the Ambulance Society and how people can find it. Of course, I'll put all this in the show notes too, but tell us a little bit about what's coming up and what you're working on now. Well, for me, I have just finished a novel that's taken me uh, several years to complete. And it is a novel, it's fictional, but there's a lot of factual information that goes into it. And it is about a lost portrait of Anne and Henry together. 
And the researcher who finds a clue and goes on a search for it. So that is due to be published in November. Um, and I am, you know, happily working right now on the cover. This is actually the first time that I've spoken about it. That's publicly. Great. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that because I've really put my heart and soul into it. But immediately upon, you know, moving that toward publication, I have been, you know, kind of waiting for the last several years since my last visit to the Vatican Library to start work, a comprehensive work on the love letters from uh, Henry oh. to Anne that I've seen two times, spent uh, several hours with in front of me and have had some just really amazing revelations. I know James knows a lot about it. I've talked with him a lot about it. Some pretty amazing revelations in looking at those letters and studying them and, you know, just kind of feeling the aura that comes off of them and um, what it says about, about the two of them. So that is ready to start. And I'm hoping that it's not going to take me more than, you know, maybe a year and a half to two years to get that put together and, and published. So that's what's next for me. Oh, we have a lot to look forward to. I'm so excited. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's a big task, the Love Letters book, because I really, really want to do it justice. And I want it to be readable in a story-like way, yet providing as much fact as I can possibly put into Mm -hmm. it. So Mm -hmm. wish me luck. We'll see how that goes. Oh, yes. Oh, (laughs) yes. Oh, wonderful. Oh, so exciting. Thank you for sharing both of those. That's so exciting. All right, James. I set up the Queen Anne Boleyn Society about eight years ago now. And um, so I run it on free social media platforms. So It's Facebook amazing. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, so you can find it on there. Do give me a follow um, if, you, if you can, please. I'd be most appreciated. And... Um, I would also say that Sandy and I have actually collaborated on a couple of projects. Um, The most recent one we collaborated on was um, we did a video, which is on YouTube, um, called um, Her Mother's Daughter. And it's about how Elizabeth remembered her mother, Anne Boleyn. And you can find that... um, on Natalie Greninger's um, brilliant um, account on the Tudor Trail. So please do go and give that a watch and listen um, if you can as well. Um, so I'm quite interested in like anything, uh, basically obviously anything to do with Anne Boleyn, really. That's the whole point of the Queen Anne Boleyn Society um, and the Boleyn family um, in general. Um, particularly stuff like how Elizabeth remembered her mother and Elizabeth's relationship. Um, but there's also... Um, Something else, um, I can't reveal too much at the moment, but something um, coming soon, um, which may have been revealed by the time this podcast has come out, although I'm not entirely sure. um, But yeah, I'm not able to say anything at the moment. But all I can say is do stay tuned for some uh, news coming soon. Oh, that's exciting because James has his finger on the pulse. So if he says it's on the inside track, (laughs) he is. He's on the inside track for sure. (laughs) So, so, so where, when it is revealable, um, will it be on the Queen Ambulance Society? Is that the place to watch for it? Yeah, that definitely. That'd be the okay. Place there. Okay. Well, we will all 
be doing that. And again, I will have all these. I hope you are all already following the Queen Anne Boleyn Society because it is so <laughs> fun and exciting and engaging and just fun. It, it's just such fun history. And of course, Sandy's work as well. So these are two people who are in the heart of the discussions and so willing to share what they're doing and share all of their insights and brilliant ideas and knowledge. And the rest of us are just so grateful and such um, just really blessed to be on the receiving end of all the work you do. So thank you both so much. And, and Carol, thank you for the work you do. Your website yeah. is amazing. Your podcasts are wonderful. Oh, thank you. You know, you're growing in your, um, you know, in your um, um Attendance is the wrong word, but your viewership <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it's very well, it's very well deserved. So, well, uh, thank you. you know, together That's- we discuss and we get the word out there and we right. discover and it's just fun. It It is fun. And we are, this is such, the Falcon story is such a great reminder that history is happening right now. And right. as we discover these things and think about transitions and power won and lost and, you know, making these women's voices more vocal and more accessible to us. It's just a wonderful and very worthwhile thing. So I thank you both for joining me. It's been just a treat and we will watch for everything that you're doing, Sandy, these two books, they're on my radar now. So (laughs) you'll hear from me. And James, you too. I'm watching for that news and everything else you do. And a big shout out to you both. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Carol, thank you for inviting us. Truly my pleasure. (laughs) And, (laughs) And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for joining me for this episode of May's Focus on Anne Boleyn. I'm so glad you were here. If you are enjoying the podcast, may I ask a favor? Would you mind please subscribing, sharing with a friend, leaving a rating, and even considering becoming a patron? I so appreciate your support. And let's keep shaking up history together. <music>